My name is Jeremy Devins, and today is a special episode because the Quiet Mind Yoga Teacher Training is now open for enrollment, but just for a few days so I can focus on enrollment this week and then start serving the students in the training starting next week. So if you're listening to this now when it goes live, this is the time to go to quietmind.yoga/ytt where you can check out all about the training and you can sign up there and learn all about it. I'm going to talk about it in today's episode and address some of the common questions I receive, why I created this training, what you can learn from it, and how I think it's, you know, I'm biased, but I think it's the best possible teacher training you can take because it's taken the best of everything that I've learned from 18 years of working in health and wellness, 10 years as a teacher, and taking countless trainings myself and leading countless trainings now as well as both a co-facilitator and a lead facilitator. So I've learned a lot along the way and I've distilled it down into this whole training. It's a 200 hour program all online and there are live Zoom sessions and there is pre-recorded material and it goes through how I've distilled all the teachings of yoga into three simple phases of learning. So you go from totally new to yoga maybe or new to teaching And by the end, you know how to confidently teach anybody that you encounter in the eight most common styles of yoga, from beginner to advanced. Even if you're not super advanced in your practice, you'll know how to work with people who are injured, people who are athletes, senior citizens, uh, uh, young kids, you know, all the range of people. Because that's what I've done over my years of practice and going out and working with anybody I could, really. When I finished my first teacher training, I just taught anywhere and everywhere I could for any amount and got all the experience I could because I knew I'd want to get a lot of experience to be able to help a lot of people. And that's what I teach inside of the training. And that's what we'll be covering here on today's episode. So I started getting into health and wellness way back, really in like the early 2000s, like 2003 or so. And I really got into it. And I got my first job at GNC. It was actually, you know, technically maybe my second or third job, but that was the first one I wanted and I was really happy that I got it because it's working with health and I got really into health in my late teens and I found this opportunity actually on my birthday and went in and applied and I got the job, which I didn't expect and I was really happy about that. So I started to work in health and wellness all the time and work with people trying to increase muscle or lose fat or be more fit or just generally be more healthy. And I was doing that as well. And I was really into weightlifting at the time. And I started to get into yoga eventually. And I've shared that story before. But along the way, I've been a constant student and always being open to learning and getting new perspective on things about health and wellness. And then eventually very, very detailed into yoga. And I've been fortunate to have some amazing teachers that I've worked with over the years who've helped me become a better teacher and learn a lot of maybe not expected or counterintuitive wisdom about how to approach teaching. And that is something that really shaped early on how I approached everything to do with teaching. And this idea that maybe to do yoga, you're supposed to be very flexible or that it should look a certain way. And I was very fortunate to avoid a lot of the common mistakes that other teachers and some lineages kind of go through because my teachers had already been through those mistakes and learned about repetitive stress injuries and to avoid them and to not overemphasize certain aspects of the practice like flexibility or the poses or things like that. So that's something that I've built into everything that I've done as a teacher since and into the training that I offer. 
So the format that I've offered, I'm offering for this training is six months. I've tried a few different things over the years, uh, from shorter to longer. And I think six months is a really good amount of time to integrate everything. So we're going to be using that format for this training. And that's one weekly live session and a weekly theme throughout the whole training. So we're in two months of phase one, two months of phase two, and two months of phase three. And each of those phases is as utilizing a certain theme for each week. So phase one is all about learning yoga. Phase two is about deepening your practice. And phase three is about teaching yoga. Phase one is where I was at for a long time. I was just learning everything I could up until around 2011 when I started teaching and was actually not even done with my teacher training yet at that point. But I was really liking teaching and I got great feedback from my mentors and teachers in that training that I was ready and thing is like you're never really ready no matter where you are on your path if you're like I don't know if I'm ready to take a teacher training if I'm ready to step into teaching more there's never really a point where you're fully ready and even you know in the years since there's been many points where like, I don't know if I'm ready to start a podcast I don't know if I'm ready to lead a teacher training but you just go and you leap and the net will appear and as I've talked to many people who have gone through my teacher trainings there's a similar choice point for everybody who goes into this experience of am I ready to take a teacher training if I practiced enough should I do other things before I take this training and really if you have any desire to do it then I think that means that you're ready if you're just thinking about it it's like I don't know maybe I need to do this first it's I, I always come back to something that I thought about years ago that helped me kind of get out of the the funk and depression that I was in years ago if not now, then when, right? Life is short. Why not just go for it now? If you, if you don't take a training now, are you going to do it next year or in two years? Why put it off? Why keep delaying? And yes, you're always going to be busy. There's always going to be things going on. And many of the people who go through my courses and trainings have very busy lives with multiple kids and all sorts of obligations, but they still know that it's important to prioritize their health and their personal growth. And I found that's the most important thing because it's really the foundation of everything else. So I chose to make yoga more the foundation of my life rather than something I did occasionally several years ago. And that's what led to me taking the teacher training to make it more the foundation of my life. And that's the sort of phase one part of things of learning about the postures, learning about the Ayurvedic practices, the daily routines, having a daily sadhana, a practice that you do every day. And that many people have said that was one of the most transformative things because they practice yoga occasionally, but now starting to do it daily, it just sped up the whole transformational process, clarified so much mentally, like they just picked up so much of the wisdom of yoga that you can only really get experientially. And that's why the experience is a huge part of my training, the experience of practicing, especially in phase one of trying different pranayama techniques, different meditation techniques, different yoga techniques, and getting that experience. So when you go to practice downward facing dog, you feel the energetic effects of it more than just knowing, okay, you do make this shape, you do this, and kind of like saying things to do with your body. It is an experience that's happening, an experience that you can transmit as a teacher. And same thing with uh, alternate nostril breathing or a breathing technique. It's not just, you know, reading the instructions and this is how you do it and you talk monotone and, and I still see I've seen many experienced teachers doing that but it's not transmitting an experience it'd be like 
uh, going to a concert and the band just plays the notes without any feeling or expression or emotion, or a movie and they just read the lines without any expression or emotion or a connection. In yoga, we're not just making shapes to make shapes, we're expressing uh, the divine within us and expressing the universal, uh, <laughs> without going too far in the philosophy, you know, that we're all part of the Brahman, the, the source of creation, and we are all a Atman expressing that bigger force of energy. So we're like a drop of the ocean, and we're expressing in our own unique way that no one else can ever do. And that's why as a teacher, when you get to phase three of the training and you're teaching, it doesn't matter how many other teachers there are in the world, people are just going to resonate with you, and they're going to not resonate with other people, and and so on. So it doesn't really matter how many other teachers already are out there. There's not really a competition because nobody can replace you. And so nobody's going to teach the way you do and focus on the elements that you do. And I'll give you the sort of map and the big picture and, and a lot of the details too. But one of the things I think is really important is to help you find your unique voice and your unique expression. And that's part of the phase two where you go deeper into the practices and you do some deep self-inquiry of why do I practice and what do I really want to be doing with this? And you know what is it that drove me to start practicing and then want to teach possibly? And I should say, you know, like 50% of the people who take most teacher trainings, including mine, don't go on to be teachers. They just do it for their own practice and their own personal growth. And that's actually what I thought I was doing and what Shannon thought she was doing, one of the teachers with the Quiet Mind Yoga membership. I'll be interviewing later this week. And she uh, also didn't want to be a teacher necessarily. is more just for her own growth. Uh, but we often find that going through that deep inquiry process, we uncover the truth of either you do or you don't want to do this thing or what you do want to do that is in alignment. Maybe it's, it's very common actually that people make major life changes going through teacher training. And I did too of changing home, changing relationship, changing career, changing diet, sleep routines. A lot of major life change happens because what we're doing in yoga is a transformational process. It is sort of purification. In the old yoga text, that's often how it's talked about. It's a purification process where we are clearing away, burning away impurities. And through the asana, through the breath, through meditation, we do that and get to the truth of our experience. And even the Buddha, the awakened one, this whole process was to try all these different ascetic practices, which some of them were yoga things, but ultimately to sit in stillness and to come to the truth of who he was, which was in essence, like I was saying, Brahman, the, the source of creation. He would have different words for it, but the similar kind of idea where we're all expressions of the divine. And the yoga practice can bring us to that experience where I can say these words and it's just like, okay, that's interesting. But it's not just a philosophy. It's not just words. It's not just me lecturing you throughout the training. It's me guiding you to say, look here, what do you notice? And try this, what do you notice? Try teaching. How does that feel? What do you notice when you're in front of somebody and presenting an experience for them and holding space for them? So it's a very experiential training, and phase two is a lot of that, deepening your practice, which may mean advanced postures. It might not, right? That's just because you can put your leg behind your head doesn't really 
mean anything beyond the physical necessarily, right? It's not inherently spiritual or anything else. So we get beyond just the focus on the postures and into the embodiment of the energies of the postures. And I offer step-by-step -step ways to go into advanced poses if you want that. If that's more of what you're interested in, that's great. Some people's real sort of connection to source comes through physically challenging themselves. Some people, it comes through mantra. Some people, it's through meditation. And I think they're all valid paths. And earlier on in my studies, you know, I'd hear about these other teachers and one of the criticisms, great teachers, but one of the criticisms I would hear of them is, you know, they didn't really teach you how to be a teacher. They taught you how to be them. They taught you how to repeat after them, <clears throat> how to imitate them, how to just do the same thing they do. And that was uh, really stuck with me because I thought really highly of those teachers and uh, had not really heard anything bad about them. But when I heard that, it was like, I see that. It's absolutely, I can see that. So one of the things I set out to do when I created my training was to not have you be a clone of me or anybody else, but to have you find what is authentic and true for you. And I've worked with teachers who teach power yoga with weights. I've worked with teachers who just teach uh, chair yoga to seniors. Uh, people who just teach regular Hatha flow classes to all levels. And people who teach kids, right? So it's a wide range. And I think part of yoga is union of these polarities and exploring these different options of how we want to express ourselves and our bodies and holding space for others to be in their unique expression of that, which is going to look different than mine or yours or anybody else's. So that's, I think, one of the real arts of not trying to fit everybody into a box to say, you know, everybody needs to do A, B, C, and D, but to say, I've got a class of 15 different people and different backgrounds, different bodies, different experience of today. I don't know wh where they're at emotionally that day or mentally. And one of the things I've always strived to do and have been fortunate to get a lot of great feedback that it, it does happen is people say that was exactly what I needed after that class. And again, there's people from very different experiences, backgrounds, different states, uh, physical states, but also <laughs> now with Zoom all over the world. But to say that that was exactly what I needed, even though they were in a very different place than the other person who also said that was exactly what they needed. So to be able to teach in such a way where everybody has exactly what they need from the practice and their own experience, and they feel like it was personalized to them, is I think one of my strengths. And it's not about copying me, it's about you finding what's authentic to you. So that's something we explore in phase two of the training. And then phase three is all the teaching skills. So the cueing and exactly how you word things. So I hear so many teachers say, like, I feel like I talk too much, and then I feel like I don't talk enough. And how do I weave in a, a theme or a philosophy? And I'm so interested in the, the, the history of yoga and the philosophy. How do I weave that into the classes and make it feel natural without sort of disrupting the flow of things? These are the kind of things I teach in phase three, which is how to teach with uh, confidence and how to cue with confidence. I actually have a whole bonus training that I'm including with this teacher training that is normally going to be 247, but it's free with this training, and that is uh, called Cue with Confidence. So it's all about the exact words to say and giving you space to create your exact words. So I, sh I share what works for me, and I found over the years that 
there is basically an exact way to say how to get into side plank or how to get into down dog or vinyasa that there's really no better way that I know of. And I think it's it's great to have different ways. And I, I'm always happy to hear different teachers say different ways. But as far as my expression, like it's the best way I could possibly say it. And I just realized over the years that I was, you know, I would say it a different way and it would get a different result and people would be a little confused. I'd say it this way and it always worked every time. So I learned to to stick with the ways that worked and stop doing the ways that didn't work. And over time, built up this entire, basically a library of cues and phrases for how to get into basically all the major poses. So that's inside of that. And that's part of phase three of the training. And I think one of the most important skills, probably one of, if not the most, is cueing is exactly what you say. Because if I say, come forward, step up and turn, right? You don't know what I'm talking about. And, and there are a lot of teachers who do things like that. Or if I say, step your right foot forward into a high lunge as you inhale, raise your arms up overhead like a Y, right? So that's very clear. And you can follow that and visualize that with your eyes closed without needing to see anything. And I like to teach in a way where people can be embodied and not need to look around and look at other people and figure out what's happening. So they can just listen to the cues and then be in their experience. So those are the kind of cues that I like to teach. And then you can add metaphors, you can add other colorful things on top of it, but people know where to go and where, what pose they're in and why, you know, what to focus on. You can add things like, you know, notice if your shoulders are elevating up towards your ears and slightly relax them here. So that is building in the anatomy, which I learn, which you learn all throughout the training because anatomy is so important. And the Yoga Alliance standards are only 20 hours of anatomy for a 200-hour training, which I think is really, really not enough. And it's very sort of short-sighted because anatomy is probably the most important thing that we're doing in the training. So in, in teaching and practicing yoga, as far as the physical asana. So I weave that through the whole training. And that is something that I hear almost from universally from teachers who go through teacher trainings. They're like, I, I just don't get the anatomy. I, I want to get it. Like it, it just kind of goes over my head. And that was actually how I felt even though I had an amazing teacher, what I really just needed was to be able to rewatch the lessons and review it. And I'm still in, in contact with that teacher now, and he's, he's an amazing guy. So uh, physical therapist, so wise, but I needed to review it. And that's why when I made my first teacher training before the pandemic, I wanted it to be online so you could rewatch things and see the visuals in a high quality way that you can't really see in person and using like a model or something like that. So that's in the training as well. And the anatomy is weaved through it. And I feel confident to say it's one of the best anatomy trainings you'll find in any YTT uh, because it goes way above the standards that Yoga Alliance set, which uh, as you maybe heard my thoughts on the Yoga Alliance, you know, it's a registry. It's very good, uh, done very good marketing for people to think that it is a certifying board but it's a registry where people put their information on and then you can search for them, right? Just like if I were to make a spreadsheet on Google Sheets and said, you know, you can pay me this much and put your name on this list, that's it. That's what the Yoga Alliance is. Uh, and they do uh, set standards and they, you know, make sure, okay, you got 20 hours of anatomy, you got your this many hours of this, and then, okay, now you can call yourself a yoga school. So it's pretty basic and simple. 
<clears throat> but ultimately it's not the most important metric. And what I, I think is the most important, what I've seen over the years, because I've never been asked to see a Yoga Alliance anything. People ask for auditions. And when you want to teach somewhere, you'll be asked to audition. And they'll know right away if you can teach or not. Uh, that you can't fake it. It doesn't matter how many certifications you have. If you can't teach a class, you're not going to get hired anywhere and you're not going to be able to teach for a living. So that's why from day one in my training, I have people start teaching. So I have you teach a little meditation on day one, really low stakes. You've got a script to follow. And so many people have said like, felt so nervous and awkward and I was like oh, I don't know what I'm doing like, how could I possibly teach this but it breaks the ice and it gets you over that hump of saying okay I've taught something now what now I could teach something else or maybe teach it again and practice it and then you add on so not just sitting still but now we're doing restorative yoga and then yin yoga and then before you know it you're teaching vinyasa yoga and you it's just kind of slowly progressed into that rather than jumping into the deep end but you did start you know out of your comfort zone and that's an important thing for you know as a teacher you put yourself on the spotlight and go step in front of a group you're going to be outside of your comfort zone a lot and then you might have situations that you have a injured student you don't know what to do how do you manage that these are the kind of things i teach in the phase three of how to sort of put yourself outside of your comfort zone and help other people from a place of service and from your heart because that's all we're really doing is just helping people experience this amazing thing called yoga that we've benefited from and you're sharing your experience you're transmitting your frequency of experience you don't teach things that you don't know you don't teach things that you haven't experienced so you have the four months before that of experience and practice and deepening so then when you go to teach you've got this well of information and this wealth of knowledge to draw from where you can say, I know what it feels like to do this pranayama practice. And as you're teaching it, you might say, you might notice X, Y, or Z. Or in this pose, you might feel this. Rather than saying, you're supposed to feel it here. Or you should feel that. Because we don't know what's going on for other people. And I've been wrong many times over the years of saying, you, know, you should feel this over here. And they say, well, actually, I feel it over there. Well, okay, well, <laughs> that's why I changed my cues and the language to be more inclusive and less exclusionary and more supportive of them to find their own experience because we're discovering it together. I don't know everything about yoga and I'd be wary of anybody who says they do, but I do know a lot about my own body and what I've experienced and can share in a way that helps other people experience their own bodies and hopefully guide them to have maybe their own profound experiences like I've been fortunate to have in my practice. And we go into things like sequencing, which is maybe often um, something that teachers worry about more than they need to. And I actually did this early on too, where I kind of worried about sequencing and thought it was more complicated than it needed to be. But I teach a method called the 60-40 sequencing method that makes it so much more simple. And it really takes away a lot of the confusion and doubt about how to teach and what to teach and what to include in a sequence. I think people overcomplicate it way more than they need to. And there are some basic things like, you might not know the science of this, but if I'll share it here is we can maintain our strength for 
up to a couple weeks. So like if I go to the gym and work out and I build a little strength adapting to that workout, I might maintain that strength improvement for eight to 16 days, like, you know, a week or two. But if I go and practice yoga and focus on asana and like stretching my hamstrings, I might see an increase in flexibility that day and for up to three days afterwards, at most a week. But we lose our flexibility quite quickly. So repeating postures and practicing flexibility regularly is really important. So it's one of the biggest fears that I had and I think other teachers have is being too repetitive. But the way the body works is it actually thrives on repetition. So if we're going to increase flexibility, we need to practice flexibility more frequently. Because unfortunately, it just doesn't maintain those gains. Like we don't stay more flexible for very long. So that's why regular practice is so important. And it's okay to repeat poses in a sequence and have a pretty consistent sequence over time. And I teach much, much more about that in the training. And I give you lots of real world teaching scenarios, like what do you do if this happens? What if you're going to teach a core class and a pregnant woman comes to class? How do you adapt? How do you teach in a one-to-one -one versus a small group or a large group? What if you get asked to teach at a festival or a workshop or a retreat? I've done all of these things many times, so I can tell you exactly what to expect, how to adapt your teaching, because teaching in those scenarios is very different versus teaching corporate clients or just teaching in-person classes, or just teaching on Zoom. These are all very distinct formats and styles where you're going to adapt how you teach to make it more effective for that group. Ultimately, my goal is that you feel ready to teach any student, anytime, anywhere. So I give you all sorts of cool things like a class planner where you can map out your class. Ultimately, I'm going to teach you how to never need that and just be spontaneous and intuitive and how that is far more effective to go with the flow of the present moment sensation, at least in my opinion. Now, I do also support people who prefer to plan things out and follow a plan, and I know many great teachers who do that. So again, I create space for you to find what works best for you, but I find uh, it's often quite helpful to be able to be adaptive and intuitive, whether you have a plan or not. I give you style guides so you can very clearly understand this is what Hatha Yoga is, this is what Vinyasa is, this is what restorative is, and this is what they are not. So if you go to teach a class, and I've experienced this many times where I go to what is called a restorative class, but we're doing Vinyasas, right? and that is just not what I signed up for. And students who go to classes like that, like me speaking from my experience, I don't go back because I'm looking for restorative and then I get Vinyasa. It's like if I order one meal at the restaurant and they give me a completely different meal, that's what, you know, you're going to ask, hey, can I uh, get the thing I ordered, please? You know, but in a yoga class, it's uh, it's a little more uncommon to, to kind of have that kind of relationship with a teacher where it might just be that you don't go back. And a lot of teachers experience this where, you know, I had 10 people at class last week and then next week only one person. What did I do wrong? Like what happened? Well, you know, we go through that. We troubleshoot it. Did you do this? Did you do that? Uh, you know, all these sort of things we can address. There's checklists. There's a, a list of things to consider to do rather than to not to do. And again, I'm not going to tell you this is right or wrong, but to consider, you know, what kind of class and environment are you intending to create and are you communicating that well so people know what to expect. 
Probably one of the coolest things that I teach that I think is super helpful is mini sequencing. So rather than thinking of a big sequence where you've got it all perfectly planned out, this is the secret to being able to, te to teach and take requests. So I can show up to teach any class and get any request, no matter how outlandish, and I've had some outlandish ones, and adapt that and include that in the class in a way that makes sense for everybody. I've had classes where one person says, I want a really hard workout today. The other person says, I just want to meditate and relax and I don't want to push myself. So how do you make a class that both of those people feel like they got exactly what they needed? Those are the kind of things we'll troubleshoot and give you exercises to explore in the training. And I give you everything you need to start a career as a teacher. So most people think maybe I'll start the career as a teacher and the thing is, like a lot of teacher trainings just teach you the teaching part and not the business and marketing and sales and all that stuff. And some people even think that it's like bad or non-spiritual or non-yogic to do that. But if you even look to the yogis of India, they are sustained by society. And of course, it's a very small, modest lifestyle, maybe just having a loincloth and a place to sleep and some food to eat but they are provided for by society. And that's sort of naturally understood part of society in the same way that rabbis and priests and spiritual leaders are provided for by society through donations. That is the same way that sages and rishis and uh, yogis to some degree in India are treated. So there is still an energetic exchange. There is sustenance provided. There is money donated. So you can approach it that way if you want. And this is one business model where you can and there's been very successful ones, actually. I was part of the first donation-based nonprofit yoga studio in Austin, Texas that opened. And uh, maybe there's one, another, there's other ones right now, but it was the first one and it was all donation-based. So it's completely sustained by people just saying, oh, I'll just give you 10 bucks here or 20 bucks there. And you can do that. And there's one of the very successful studios in uh, Venice Beach that is doing that as well. They've done that for many, many years, decades now. The uh, Brian Kess Power Yoga Studio. I actually got to go there a couple years ago. Beautiful place right by the ocean and totally sustained by donations. And they have over a $7,000 a month rent, at least at the time when I asked them or found out about that. So uh, it works and you can do that or you can have other models and I, I share that with you in the training and explore other models of like how you want to approach you can just work at a studio and have it be a side income you could be an entrepreneur and start a podcast start a youtube there's never too late there's not too many people doing youtube because youtube i'll just tell you like youtube favors new videos so Whoever is more consistent making new videos is going to eventually reach a lot of people. And if they're good, of course, and you got all the teaching stuff, everything before this marketing piece is handled, then yes, you can absolutely do that. So I give you options and I see so many people go through teacher training like, I think I want to teach, but then they just, they're not ready because they didn't practice teaching enough in the training. So they feel awkward and nervous when they go to teach. They didn't get the business training, so they don't know how to market themselves or how to approach that part of it. They think, well, if I just post on Instagram, people will come and then somehow I've got a career. I don't know. Right. So that's kind of the level of business training that you get from most teacher trainings. And that's about it. But I go much, much further in this one because I think that's so important. And 
ultimately it means that you're helping more people. The more income that's coming in means there's some sort of output going out and some sort of service and value provided that people are enjoying. And they're going to spend that money either on medical bills because they're not being healthy and active or on Pilates or spinning or different you know methods of physical movement. So there's millions of people looking for some sort of physical activity and a teacher they resonate with. And some people are going to resonate with you and some people are going to resonate with other teachers. But until you put yourself out there, they'll never find you. And I could have never predicted the people I would reach. Like I just had no idea. I was just doing it for myself and my own growth. And then I've been fortunate to have many, many years of relationships now. People who come to their first class with me like seven years ago and they're I was just messaging with one of them today and just talking about their practice. So you build lifelong relationships with these people that you just can't anticipate. And yes, there's an energetic exchange where you teach, they pay, but you also build a relationship, a friendship, a community. You know, these people I go out to events with and we meet for holidays and stuff. So it's more than just uh, thinking about transactions and sales. But that is part of it, and that's not a negative thing, right? And I kind of like to take away the stigma from that. So along the way, you learn things like reading energy in people's bodies, creating your daily Ayurvedic routine, learning the most common poses, the most common advanced poses. And all of it's filtered through 10 core competencies of yoga that I teach you over these three phases. So it's super thorough, super comprehensive. And then there's all sorts of bonuses in the training as well. So I give you your first year of yoga insurance, that saves you 180 bucks. I give you access to a drag and drop sequencer and a training on how to use it. That's super valuable. That's something I wish I had in my first training. Uh, I give you a summary of all the best yoga resources. So there's so many books and YouTubes out there, like how do you navigate all that? I help you do that. Uh, one of the big skills is learning to trust your intuition. So I have a whole extra training on that as well, a 30-day challenge where you practice honing your intuition and learning how to read energy in your environment and in yourself. How to go to from zero to your first $3,000 in your yoga business. It's actually really, really attainable. So you can easily pay for this whole training by itself using that one that one resource alone. It's that one thing alone is worth the whole price of admission. I also teach you, I have a little training called marketing for people who don't like marketing. So if that's you, which I was in the past, I think you'll get a lot out of that. You also get access to the Quiet Mind Yoga membership, which is normally $27 a month or $270 a year. If you're already a member, you save that much on the training. So you get a discount. If you're a member, make sure you reach out to me before you sign up. You get that promo code. Uh, but if you're not a member, that's included, and you get access to over 300 on-demand classes, every style, length, approach, focus, low back pain, chakras. It's super in-depth. Lots of things to explore there, meditation, vinyasa, hatha, restorative. Lots of cool classes with me and Shannon and Sachi, amazing teachers that I've been fortunate to have in the membership. Then yes, you also get the cue with confidence course. That's normally 247. That teaches you how to cue with confidence as promised. And the yoga for beginners course, that is a great place to start. And it's a great sort of model. So I like to encourage you to teach your own beginner series by the end of the training. So you can use that as a model for how to do that. 
and also the Mindful New Year course, which helps you plan your year in alignment with the seasons in Ayurveda, yoga, and Vedic astrology, which I also teach. And there's also a bonus surprise as well, which I don't advertise, but I think is super cool that I mail to you. So that's totally extra as well, which I think you'll really enjoy. And the whole thing is over six months again, three simple phases, and it's $23.76 to pay in full, which saves you about $400. Or you can do payment plan $234 over 12 months. The only thing there is that I require that all payments are completed before you receive your certification, just to complete the cycle with that. So you can pay up front in full, save $432, or do 12 payments of $234, and by the last payment, you'll receive your certification. Otherwise, you'll receive it after the six months and the training and the graduation. So we'll graduate in six months, and that is the overview of the Quiet Mind Yoga Teacher Training. And it's the last time it'll be open until a year from now. So I'm just going to be doing it this time now, and then again next fall, 2022, will be the next chance to enroll. So if you've been thinking about doing it, this is the last time to enroll for a year. And I'd love to have you there. I'm going to be sharing some interviews with graduates, Trish and Shannon, who've done amazing already after the training. I mean, Shannon has just done incredibly well and built up a library of dozens of amazing classes inside the yoga membership. And she's been teaching weekly ever since the training ended. Same with Trish. She's been teaching weekly since the training ended. And she just started new classes this week. And she's been teaching uh, different places in her area and different groups so really cool and both of them are excellent teachers i'm happy and proud to ask them to sub my classes when i need a sub and they both 